Not sure there's anything more difficult in life to handle as as being in a tough, difficult situation that doesn't uh, have any realistic prospect of getting better. In fact, as you uh, look at it, it may seem that uh, objectively it's probably going to get worse before it gets any better. And that's difficult for us to, uh, to cope with. It's difficult to handle. Yeah, visited a woman in the cancer ward at St. Luke's this week, body riddled uh, with cancer, very, facing a very uncertain future and uh, in a circumstance where uh, things are simply out of her control. There's nothing that uh, she can do to uh, control this, to uh, uh, find any, uh, any way out of the circumstance. Uh, sometimes these uh, sorts of uh, adverse circumstances uh, are due to the people that we're forced to relate to and in our homes or families or in the workplace, uh, people who are aggravating and irritating and unresponsive and uncooperative and whose uh, main role in life seems to be to make life as miserable for us as possible. And we may not have any real choice about this. We may be in a situation that we really cannot do anything about. And we're left with uh, sort of a helpless sense of, uh, of being uh, innocent uh, victims. We're seeking to be uh, righteous and obedient and godly, and yet uh, things seem to be uh, going in entirely the wrong direction. Well, if you uh, are facing that sort of a circumstance, I believe that James has some uh, help for you in James chapter 5, and I would like you to turn there with me this morning. We will look at verses 7 through 11 of James chapter 5. Those of you that were present for David's study in the first paragraph of James chapter 5 last week, remember that the first paragraph in this chapter is addressed to the rich who were using their power and their influence to take advantage of the poor, withholding from them wages that properly belong to them. And James' word to the rich is... uh, a word of warning because payday's coming. You uh, can get away with this sort of mistreatment for a while, but not for long. Uh, the Lord uh, is going to call you to account for the way you've handled these people. Now in verses 7 through 11, James turns his attention to the poor, those who are the righteous and innocent victims of the rich, and has a word for them. Be patient, therefore, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Behold, a farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You, too, be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful." structure of this little paragraph is fairly simple and straightforward. James gives us two basic commands in verses 7 through 9 and then gives us two examples in verses 10 and 11. He first of all tells us what he wants us to do and then gives us examples of men who have who've done it. 
Now, James' first word to people who are suffering due to circumstances beyond their own control is to be patient. He uses this term three times in two verses. Be patient, therefore, brethren, till the coming of the Lord. This is the farmer waits patiently for the crops, so you too be patient. The word he uses for patient here is the Greek word makrothumeo. You're familiar with that prefix, makro, from words, English words like macroeconomics and macroevolution and so forth. And the word thumeo is the Greek word for temper. So what James says is the Lord's first concern for you in circumstances of pressure is that you be long-tempered. This is his highest priority for you, that you be someone who's not easily irritated and provoked to anger. Now, all of us have uh, fuses of uh, varying lengths, some shorter than others. Some of us go off like uh, Roman candles under pressure, uh, explode like a one-megaton warhead. Uh, others of us are more of the slow-burn variety. Our anger just uh, sort of smolders in these times of pressure. But James says the first thing for you to, to pursue is a spirit of patience under this suffering that you, uh, that you cannot control. It's possible, James says, for us to be people who can handle this pressure with poise, with a spirit of confidence and calm, with a spirit which is willing to wait for the Lord to work without becoming impatient and demanding and irritable. James uses a synonym in verse 11, the word endurance. Uh, this is from a couple of Greek words which together mean to remain under, to abide under. That is to remain in a situation of pressure, but to hang in there, to abide under that pressure without caving in, without cashing in your chips, without giving way uh, under pressure. So whether the problem is uh, people or circumstances, James says it's possible for us as his children to be patient to be men and women of endurance, uh, men and women who refuse to collapse under the pressure of our, uh, of our circumstances. I heard a, a story that a man by the name of Tom Hamilton told about his uh, time in the uh, service. He was in the Navy in World War II, and right after uh, D-Day, he was in a convoy of ships which ran into a very, very severe storm. And uh, one of the ships in this convoy was um, in some serious difficulty, and the... Uh, the captain of the ship radioed a message to Tom Hamilton's ship, and the message came through, I am sinking, and I need assistance. And uh, they radioed back, or used the semaphore, whatever they used, to radio back a message of uh, moral encouragement, which was all they could offer, because they themselves were battered by the waves. And after about 10 or 15 minutes, another message came back, uh, I am sinking now, and I need assistance immediately. And uh, again, all they could do was radio back a uh, word of encouragement. And finally, after about another uh, 20 minutes, the captain managed to get his uh, ship under control and uh, avert the immediate danger. And so he radioed another message, I have decided not to sink. Thank you very much. <laughs> But that's the, uh, that's the biblical spirit of patience and endurance. I have decided by God's grace not to sink. Now that's obviously God's highest uh, priority in times of stress, that we learn by his grace to be these uh, sorts of people. 
And God will allow us to be in these circumstances of adversity because he wants to develop in us this quality of character, of, of patience. His concern uh, always is far more for our character than for our comfort. And he uses these pressures to build this quality in us. As uh, Bob indicated, I've been uh, playing Mr. Mom for this last week and uh, looked forward uh, to playing that role for another couple of months. And uh, I've already had a taste of, of the lessons that the Lord uh, wants me to learn, I think, in this circumstance. And basically, it's, it's patience. My first uh, day on the job, I was vacuuming the carpet, and uh, my 20-month-old daughter ran her toy stroller into the vacuum and punched a hole in the vacuum bag. So it was running full steam at the time, so we had a mess all over the house. And just, uh, just after I got that uh, cleaned up, the uh, belt on the vacuum cleaner uh, came loose and left black skid uh, marks all over the carpet that had to be uh, cleaned up. And uh, then I was fixing Jana her lunch, and the peanut butter lid just flew off the peanut butter jar, made a left turn around the toaster, hopped over the food blender, and ducked down behind the refrigerator. And uh, it took me ten minutes to retrieve that little item. And then uh, to cap off the day, I gave my daughter a bath, pulled her out of the bathtub, dried her off, and set her down. And when I was cleaning up the bathtub, she made a beeline for the kitchen and sat down and went to the bathroom on the kitchen floor. And, uh, kind of the uh, perfect ending to the perfect day. But, uh, but the Lord's got, got us in that circumstance because he wants to, uh, to teach us uh, to be patient uh, people, to be people of endurance who can bear up under pressure and adversity without, uh, without giving way. Now, James gives us two reasons why we can be patient, two truths to, to remember uh, when, we, when we're tempted to be impatient. Notice that verse 7 has the word therefore in it. Be patient, therefore, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. And this goes back into the preceding context. The therefore is obviously based on something he said in the pre, uh, prior context. And I think he's thinking back to verse 4, where he says, Behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields, and which has been withheld by you, cries out against you, and the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. Sabaoth is just a transliteration of the Hebrew word for hosts, as your margin indicates. Uh, what James is saying is that the outcry of those who are suffering has reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. This was the term that the Jews used to describe their God as the Lord of the hosts of Israel, the Lord of the armies of Israel. It was a picture of the Lord as one who was mighty in battle. The later prophets used it to refer to the Lord as the Lord of the hosts of the heaven, the one who was uh, responsible for flinging the stars into space and holding the universe together. So it's a, it's, a, it's a name that reflects the power and the might of the Lord. And what James says uh, to, for us to remember, first of all, in times of stress, is that our complaint, our cry for relief from this suffering, has reached the ears of an almighty God. That our plea has been lodged in the heart of someone who has the capacity and the power to do something about our suffering. And he will do it. 
He will address our suffering and he will provide relief at the right time. I uh, came across an interesting illustration of this. Uh, Jan Goodrich was talking to my wife uh, a couple of weeks ago. She'll probably stop telling these stories to my wife because it makes such great illustrations. She'll probably uh, get tired of being used and abused in this way. But she, Jan is pregnant and they're expecting their uh, second child. And so they've been trying to get Susan ready for this, prepare her for the uh, birth of the second child. And they've explained that the baby's now in mommy's tummy and she'll go to the hospital and bring her home. And in order to help... Uh, paved the way to remove any sibling rivalry and so forth, Jan said to Susan one day, uh, you know, and it's just possible that the baby will bring home a gift for you from the hospital. And Susan thought for a minute, and she walked right over to her mother and talked right into her tummy and said, I want the pink baby doll from Kmart. Yeah, but the uh, the thing that occurred to me is that uh, you know Susan has ever, has no reason to be worried or uptight or impatient because her plea has been uh, heard by someone who can do something about it. Okay? And James says the same is true for us that someone who can and will do something about our suffering has heard our plea, has heard our cry, and he will act on our behalf. Now, the second reason James says that we can be patient is because the Lord is coming. It says, be patient until the coming of the Lord. And then in verse 8, strengthen your hearts, that is, to patience, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Uh, the word that James uses for coming here is the word uh, parousia or parousia that you might be familiar with from some of the reading you may have done in prophecy. And it's the term that the New Testament writers used for the second coming of the Lord when he will return to earth visibly and, and physically. And James' point is that when he comes back, he's going to set things right. He's going to square accounts. When he comes back, he's going to, to heal the heartaches. He's going to remove the suffering. He's going to uh, bind up the brokenhearted. He once and for all is going to, to set things right was a term that the writers of the first century used to refer to the visit of an emperor to his provinces. When an emperor visited his provinces, he went and he, he arranged things. He set things in order. And James says the Lord is coming back to do the very same thing. And you can be patient now, today, knowing that the Lord is going to return. And when he does, he'll set things right in your life. Uh, he'll remove the heartache and the pain and wipe away the tears and uh, make you whole and complete for good and for eternity. And James says the coming of the Lord is at hand. Literally, it has drawn near. In verse 10, he says the judge has taken his stand right at the door. In other words, the picture that James paints for us is that Jesus has his hand on the doorknobs and he at any moment could open those doors and step back into time and back into history. It could happen at any time. My understanding of the Lord's teaching in the Olivet Discourse is that the last prophetic event that had to be fulfilled before the Lord could return was the destruction of Jerusalem. I think Luke indicates that in, in chapter 21. And we know historically that the destruction of Jerusalem took place in 70 A.D., and so from that point up until the present, the Lord could have returned at any point in history. Since 70 A.D., he's had his hand on the doorknob, 
and could enter, reenter history at any point. Could have come in 71 A.D., could have come in 1400 A.D. He could come December 4th, 1983. Could come before this uh, service is out. And James says, be patient, knowing that the Lord's coming is imminent. It could take place at any time. And when he returns, he's going to set things right. He's going to put things in order. Now, James uh, recognizes here that there are some things in life, then, that are not going to be set right until the Lord returns. Uh, A good deal of the suffering that you may be experiencing now is suffering that you realize will only be for a while. You know that the Lord, at some point, is going to to take the pressure off. You'll... uh, uh, find a job or your, or your uh, situation will be uh, changed, the pressure will be uh, released, be taken off. And you have every reason to think that the Lord will set your situation right and, and take the pressure off uh, in, the, in the near future. But there are other circumstances. The, uh, uh, maybe a bad marriage, which has every prospect of being a terrible marriage for as long as you live. Perhaps some sort of disease which shows no signs of remission or cure. And James honestly admits that there are some things that aren't going to be set right until the Lord returns. But he's coming back. He could come back at any point, at any time. And when he does, he's going to set things right once for all. Now, if you're anything like me, this sort of has a a pie-in-the-sky, by-and-by ring to it, which is kind of removed and remote from reality. It's not really of much use to me, it seems, Uh, to think of the Lord's coming as a reason for hope and patience in the present. I think there's a couple of reasons for that as I've thought about it this week. I've really wrestled with this because my uh, my own background is in a church where the the overwhelming emphasis is what on the Lord is going to do for you and can do for you today. Something of a reaction to to people whose entire emphasis was on the uh, on the future uh, these men emphasize to us the adequacy and the availability of God in the present. So consequently, the whole prospect of spending an eternity with the Lord is something that sort of be, uh, got a little devalued in my own estimation. I think there's a couple of reasons why, as I look at my own experience, why the thought of the coming of the Lord is not much of a motivation to patience I think one that occurred to me is that we live in a, uh, a culture in which there is a tremendous emphasis on the satisfaction and the gratification of, of needs and desires instantly. Uh, uh, we have instant coffee, we have instant tea, we have instant on TV so we don't even have to wait for a picture on our tube. We have microwave ovens which uh, shorten the uh, cooking process from hours to a matter of minutes and seconds. So everything in our our technology is geared to satisfy our needs and our desires instantly. And this begins to skew our perspective on the way in which God works. He doesn't always satisfy our needs instantly on demand. A second thing that occurred to me is that we really do have a, um, a distorted perspective on time and eternity. James, in this passage, has used a couple of metaphors to describe this life on earth. One of them is is like a vapor. He says it's like a mist which hangs in the air briefly and then is gone, disappears. In chapter 1, he used the imagery of a uh, flower which blooms in the morning and is burned off by the midday sun. And he says, realistically, objectively, the facts are that this life 
lasts only for a, a microsecond compared to the eternity that we will enjoy with the Lord, free of all pain, free of all suffering, free of all heartache, free of all uh, disappointment and hurt. Okay? And James says that is the reality that we, uh, that we ought to consider. This is what brings a sense of perspective to our, our present sufferings, that as intense as they may be, they are only for a while. They are temporary compared to the eternity that we will spend with the Lord. But our, our perspective naturally is to be preoccupied with the intensity of our experience in the here and now, in the immediate present. I know of one girl who, when her, her boyfriend broke up with her, she was rather distraught about this, and she shook her finger in her boyfriend's face. And she says, not only have you broken my heart, and ruin my life, but you have spoiled my whole evening. And, uh, you know, and that's, you know, that's, that's the way we are. We are we're preoccupied with, with things that hurt us in the, in the present, and it begins to distort our perspective on uh, what objectively is the case. But James says one of the things that ought to motivate us to patience each day is the realization that the Lord is coming back. And it could be today. And so I can be patient. I can afford to wait because of the glorious future that I will endure for eternity. Now, a second command James gives in verse 9, he says, not only are you to be patient positively in verse 7, but negatively do not complain in verse 9, brethren, against one another. What James uh, recognizes here is that the, the tendency when we are under pressure is when our nerves begin to fray and wear at the edges, is to lash out at people around us and to strike back at people around us and begin to blame them for, for all of our troubles. James says, don't, uh, don't do that. Don't give in to that temptation. heard of a minor league manager who had a, a particularly inept left fielder. In this one game, this left fielder was bobble, bobbling easy catches and overthrowing cutoff men and so forth. And he got so frustrated at the performance of this left fielder that he benched him and went in to play left field himself. And in short order, he proceeded to drop an easy fly ball, and then he uh, overthrew a cutoff man, which let the winning run get into scoring position, and then he collided with the center fielder, allowing the winning run to score. And he uh, came off the field just red in the face and irate and pointed his finger at that left fielder and he said, See? You fouled up left field so bad that nobody can play it. <laughs> but J James says, don't, don't give in to that temptation to blame people around you for, for all of your troubles in, time, in a time of uh, suffering. And the reason, he says, is that he does not want us to be judged. He says, don't complain in order that you may not be judged. The judge has taken his stand right at the door. He could step through those doors at any point and render judgment. And James says you will be held accountable by a judge for every one of those fault-finding critical words, that there is a judge who will hold you accountable for those words. Now, again, it uh, it's, can, can seem to be difficult to be motivated today by the thought that the words that I say to my uh, family members, to my roommates, to my wife or my husband, that I will be held accountable for those words when the Lord returns, because that seems to be so distant, so far off. But James says the judge is right at the door, and you will be held accountable for those words. So don't give in to that. Don't give in to that temptation. 
When I was in seminary, probably the toughest classes we took were the language classes, the Greek classes and the Hebrew classes. And the thing that motivated me to stay on top of my homework one day at a time was that I knew that there was a day of reckoning to come. Uh, I knew that if I skipped my homework on Monday, it probably wasn't going to cause anything catastrophic to happen on Monday. And I knew if I skipped my homework on Tuesday, nothing catastrophic was going to happen on Tuesday. But I knew if I skipped my homework on Monday and Tuesday that something catastrophic was going to happen on Friday. Now, James says that's the perspective that we ought to have, a realistic, healthy awareness that the Lord is a judge, and he judges his children, that he will hold us accountable for these words. So James says the things that ought to occupy our attention under times of stress is to be patient, knowing that, first of all, the Lord is coming back to set things right, and also that he's coming back to judge. Now, he gives us two examples in verses 10 and 11 of the sort of patience and endurance that he wants us to have. He first of all refers to the prophets in verse 10, the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. And he reminds us that these prophets spoke in the name of the Lord to let us know that these men, even though they were spokesmen for God, were not spared the suffering that everyone else had to endure been studying the life of Elijah in the past few weeks, and one of the things that has impressed me is that, that in the judgments that Elijah had to pronounce on the nation, that he himself suffered the same judgments. When he uh, announced that there would be a drought on the land for three and a half years, Elijah experienced the consequences of that drought just like everyone else. And he himself had to wait patiently for the Lord to open the heavens, just like everyone else did. But what James points out is that we count those prophets blessed who endured, the ones that refused to cave in under the pressure and held firm and refused to sink by the grace of the Lord, are the men that we admire and respect for their courage. Think of a man like uh, Jeremiah who went his entire public ministry without a single favorable response. No one ever came up to him after he proclaimed the word of the Lord and said, that was a nice message, Jerry. I really appreciate your work. You know, Not once did he get that sort of feedback. And he eventually was left to die in the bottom of a well by his own countrymen. But as you examine his life, there's a courage there. There's a patience, there's a perseverance which excites your admiration and your respect. James says we admire them, we count those blessed who endured. I think uh, of Corrie ten Boom and the way that her life uh, has encouraged and challenged and consoled uh, countless thousands, perhaps even millions of believers. A woman who in, uh, in a concentration camp exhibited the patience and the endurance that these same prophets showed endured torture and humiliation, and yet was patient with her captors and endured. She bore up under those difficult, pressing circumstances. The second example that James gives us is that of Job. He says, you have heard of the endurance of Job. Now, of course, he's a very familiar figure to us. He's the man that you remember, the, uh, uh, in whose case the Lord gave Satan the freedom to do anything he wished with Job short of taking Job's life. And with that kind of free reign, uh, uh, Satan destroyed all of his possessions, left him bankrupt and penniless and homeless, uh, 
killed his family in a tragic accident, so he was left with no children. His wife uh, turned on him, encouraged him to turn her back on God and curse him to his face. And yet through all of that, Job uh, remained a man of endurance and patient faith in the goodness and kindness of the Lord. He says, even though he slay me, yet will I trust him. He said to his wife when she encouraged him to curse God, he says, the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And what James points out is that the outcome of the Lord's dealings with Job were full of mercy and compassion. Chapter 42 of Job tells us that the Lord restored to Job twice what Satan had taken. Double of everything that Satan had taken from him, God restored to him. Restored twice the property, twice the possessions. Gave him a new family, twice the size. And his, the outcome, the end result of the Lord's dealings with him were merciful and compassionate. So what James suggests to us is that there are times when we need, we need to wait to see how the Lord is going to cause all of this to work out. That uh, all of the votes are not in. It's too early to determine how the Lord is going to work with us. But if we're patient, if we wait to see how the Lord will work things out in our case, we will see that in every case... He is compassionate and merciful, and we will recognize his compassion and mercy, even though it seems at this point that he, he de he's dealing with us harshly and sometimes brutally. We will see, if we're patient, that his, his purpose for us and the outcome, the end result of his dealings with us is full of mercy and uh, compassion. So God does withhold things from us, for a time, but it's always for our own good. Some of you parents are putting the same principle into practice right now with your own children. You have Christmas presents which you have purchased and you've stored away and which you could at any point give to your children. And they may even be asking you for them every day. But you know that for their benefit, you want to hold on to those presents because it will spoil something if you give it to them now. It'll tarnish something. And so for their benefit, you withhold these presents from them uh, for the present. Now, God does the same with us. He will withhold things from us for a time for our own benefit. Uh, Paul learned this lesson. Remember, he was afflicted with a thorn in the flesh, evidently some very painful physical condition. And three times Paul entreated the Lord to have that removed from him. And every time the Lord's response was no. And the reason was that God wanted to teach Paul a great lesson about life. The lesson he wanted to teach Paul was that my strength, Paul, is perfected in your, your weakness. Uh, that was the great lesson that Paul learned that he could not have learned in any other way. That at times God must uh, hurt us to heal us, just as a surgeon who removes a tumor must uh, hurt his patient uh, inflict a great deal of suffering and pain on that patient in order to promote uh, healing. And God works the same way with us, that at the present it seems like his, his dealings are bitter, and yet we see that when the outcome, when all the votes are in, when the final results have been tabulated, that his dealing with us is merciful and compassionate. Some of you remember uh, Holly Newman telling a story about uh, baking cookies, and her children always... Uh, loved it when she baked cookies because they loved cookies. And they assumed that because the, uh, the, the end product, the cookies, were so tasty and sweet 
that the ingredients themselves would be sweet. And so they would sample the vanilla and sample the flour and find it very bitter to the taste. And what Holly remarked on is this is an example of the way in which the Lord deals with us. The ingredients that we see him putting together at this point can seem to be, uh, to be bitter to the taste and uh, difficult to endure. But when the uh, final product is put together, when we see the complete pattern of the Lord's dealings with us, we will see that the outcome is very sweet, full of mercy and compassion. Now, some of you may be in circumstances this morning which are pressing on you and weigh very heavily on your heart, and they, uh, there may seem to be little or no relief uh, in sight, at least in the immediate future. Well, James has a word. Be patient, endure, uh, for the Lord is a Lord of might and power, and he will, in his due time, set things right. I'd like you to bow your heads right now and just close your eyes, and I'd like one more time to just read this passage to you as you just listen in the quiet of your own heart. And uh, if you are struggling at this point with impatience and with a uh, under adversity, which is no fault of your own, uh, let the Lord minister to you in your own heart with these words and ask him to be gracious to you and give you the patience and the endurance that you need. Be patient, therefore, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Behold, the farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You, too, be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. Lord, we uh, offer up to you today our, our prayer of need and bankruptcy. We're grateful that in this very letter that you have promised us that any uh, element of character that we lack, any facet of character that we lack, you delight to give to us generously and without reproach. And we ask you now this morning collectively, we ask you as individuals uh, for your uh, character to be manifest in us to answer our need for patience and for endurance. We ask you for this gift. We ask you to bestow it upon us generously and without any reproach. We thank you for your offer to us. We pray that this day we might relate to people and to circumstances with patience and with endurance. And we pray in this coming week that you will remind us that uh, because of your grace at work in us, because of the promise of your power at work on our behalf and your coming, which could take place at any time, that we can be patient under the suffering of the present. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.